I feel like I should start off by apologizing for the audio. <laughs> <laughs> no apologies. There's yeah. a there's a musician here who uh, who told me never apologize under any circumstances for anything. And his name was Donald J. Trump. <laughs> <laughs> no. no, no. This no. guy could could like Trump though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you definitely hear that from people in the public eye how you're not supposed to apologize because it. You know, but I don't know. I don't know. Trying to think of uh, examples of where people have apologized and it's turned out well for them. And I can't think of any. But anyway, I do apologize (laughs) because last week, Uh last week I 2X'd the audio when we were recording and it screwed (sighs) it up. So we had to use the backup Zoom audio and it sucked. Yeah. But the episode was was good. Yeah. Yeah. How'd the the episode episode do? Yeah, uh, well, you know, I mean, <laughs> you know, it's like Extremely four million. Well. You know, normally we have five million, but this last week we had four because you know, mm. yeah. people weren't weren't yeah, having it. Yeah, didn't it. didn't do great, huh? <laughs> you looking at it now? Yeah. <laughs> yep. It's okay. It's okay. We'll get them all back with Maslow today. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this is a nice, easy one, right? It was. Uh, yeah. It was pretty funny. My wife popped in and she was like, why are you reading Maslow? This is like psychology 101. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's true. It was It was easy. I, Yeah, I have a few questions, but overall, you know, it basically pretty makes sp- sense. Yeah, pretty straightforward. And it is exactly, I mean, you learn about, so we, we're, we, we read for this week uh, A Theory of Human Motivation by A.H. Maslow. Right. Published in 1943, and this is basically exactly as Antushka was saying. If you've ever taken a, a psychology 101 class in college or probably even high school, you go over Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and this is the paper that that's from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pretty cool. It is pretty cool. Uh, should we talk about the concert first? I don't know. Yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah. So, so we. It was good. Well, you were laughing like it was a bad concert. No, no. I thought it was good. It's just funny because we were like introduced and then we. Now for something completely different. But yeah, we played yeah. a concert on Friday, and it was fun. We also had five million people at that. We're just we're like too popular. I think <laughs> we're too popular. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was fun. I thought it went well. Uh huh. Hopefully they'll let us back. <laughs> yeah, I think I think they should. Yeah. Well, I noticed that you posted a video that the guy must have sent you because it was he didn't from send his it perspective. To me. I just, I, he posted it and then I ripped it from Facebook. Oh well, but that's still cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I actually don't know if that's cool to do. I don't even know the etiquette behind that, but I do that sometimes. Yeah. Did yeah. he tag you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is you. It is me. That's true. Yeah. My li- I own my own likeness. My That's my true. myself is my intellectual property. You are looking very Antifa today too. So. A very Antifa, yeah. 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 Black with a black beanie. Yeah. It's and I'm chilly. like the opposite. I've just I'm completely You're white like completely fu. You're like so <laughs> fascist. It's crazy. Yeah, I'm yeah, cuz the fascists <laughs> wear white. I think we all know this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, it was fun. Um, yeah, and uh, maybe we'll even do a mini tour. Yeah, I think I think it's I think it's a good idea. There's actually um, a a booking company I work with. A couple hmm. friends of mine started it here in Austin, and they're starting to book tours for people. So I oh, think wow. working with them could be a good idea. Yeah, that would be awesome. Um, yeah, and I had like somehow randomly Spotify. I I'm wondering now if Spotify like pushes your stuff more when you release something because mm-hmm. uh, just randomly I got like a thousand more listeners than I normally do. Yesterday. Oh wow! Yeah, nice. <laughs> yeah, cool. So, it seems to still be up and up. So anyway, people are listening, but they mostly seem to be in Europe. To be honest, in mm. like Australia. Sydney we, is my top. We city. do have oh oh your listeners are in Europe and Sydney. Yeah yeah. Nice. What about yours? Oh oh ours. I don't have for the podcast. <laughs> you don't have listeners? Not really. You never check the demographics? Yeah, Come but on. it's not enough stuff. Like I get you know like zero listens per day. Like I get maybe I maybe two in two a month kind of a thing. Gotcha. 
Yeah, honestly, the only I think people it was who TikTok. listen to mine are people who I send the they right. people who I'm hiring to play my shows, and right. so I send them the Spotify playlist. I think right. that's the only people who listen. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, that used to be me. I think it was TikTok that was the thing. I don't know, but just randomly, right. like a year ago, I started getting listens. Yeah, uh, but yeah, but anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, yeah, that'd be cool. Mini tour would be cool. Yeah. Man. And we could do that same, we could do the format. I think that'd be fun if we each do a set and then we do a short duo set at the end. Yeah. I Jam was thinking, out together. Yeah, we definitely should have done that um, this last time. I think it would have, would have made it more fun. Yeah. Well, next time. Yeah, next time. Sounds good. Cool. Anything else to say on that? Uh, I don't know. Come out next time, everybody. Yeah. I don't think we had one podcast fan there. Can you believe that? Yeah, I I, uh, I think that's right. Yeah, it's crazy. What's I up know. with that? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's like you just you do an anonymous podcast, but people don't seem to do the work to figure out who you are and where you're playing. I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous. But that's anyway. funny. Um, yeah. cool. I also feel like Dripping oh. Springs was the kind of place where if we'd put up posters around downtown... We could have gotten people that way because I feel like most yeah. of the people who came out were just sort of like out and about picking yeah. somewhere to go. So it seems right. like that's the kind of place where you actually could attract people by like, oh, yeah. there's a thing on Friday. Let's go to that. Yeah, like that bar we went to. We should have just been like, by the way, we're playing. <laughs> yeah, leave this bar. Come <laughs> yeah. with us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, probably. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I even was on the, on the website. Cause no, we had, I don't think so. I had obviously jumped on after the fact, but and he didn't update it. So. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. I'm not offended. <laughs> a little, um, a little offended. Yeah, but cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, all right. So, Maslow. so Maslow hierarchies, needs, all yes. that stuff. So there's uh, five. Oh yeah. Where how do you? Well, so so he starts off with a bunch of essentially like premises. Mm-hmm. That that everything is building off of, like given all this stuff, right? We can go from there, and that's it's how many of them? It's thirteen of them. Yes. Um, and the first one, I think, uses a term that sounds like a technical term, and I wasn't able to find what it means. Maybe you can you can talk about it. So the the first premise that he's starting with before he even talks about his hierarchy of needs, his Maslow, is that. The integrated wholeness of the organism must be one of the foundation stones of motivation theory. So what is integrated wholeness? Yeah, I was thinking about that too. I think it's just probably the idea, I don't know, but my, my reading of it would be, you know, it's the sum total of the organism that's resulting in whatever the motivation is. Right. You know, there's some being that's being motivated and, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the hierarchy of needs that he sets out, is this under the subset of motivation theory broadly? I believe so. Yes, because, I mean, it's called a theory of human motivation. Right. And so, yeah, and and this is a subset of behavioral theory. He makes a, a point to say behavior is motivated by other things than just needs. Mm-hmm. Like culture is a is a motivation, right? Um, but you know, he says in the fourth precept of or whatever you know or foundation uh, thing that. Uh, Conscious, specific, local, cultural desires are not as fundamental in motivation theory as the more basic unconscious goals. Right. That um, makes sense. Yeah. So what he's trying to get at is sort of the very most basic uh, basic needs, as he calls them, that motivate our behavior. And mm-hmm. this is where the hierarchy comes because you have a most fundamental one. So the most fundamental need is going to be physiological needs like eating, you right. know, drink. And then the second is safety. Mm-hmm. Third is love. Fourth mm-hmm. is esteem. And fifth is self-actualization. Right. 
Um, <laughs> and I thought these, so I mean, safety, physiological need, kind of self-explanatory safety, also kind of self-explanatory love, kind of self-explanatory, except it is, he does distinguish it from sex. It's, mm -hmm. you know, he kind of puts sex as more physiological, right. but not one of the basic physiological needs. Right. The physiological needs he's talking about, like I already said, are like hunger and whatnot. Right. Um, and then uh, esteem is like a stable, firmly based, usually high evaluation of oneself. Mm -hmm. And then the self-actualization I thought was funny because it was uh, individual needs to be doing what they are fit for, e.g. musician making music. <laughs> right. And, you know, I actually thought about you when I was reading that because I remember, you know, we obviously met each other when we were both pursuing music. Right. And then when I was starting to get a little disillusioned with it, I was talking to you about like, why do you, why, what keeps you on the track? And you're like, I just honestly can't see myself doing right. anything different. And I was like, man, you know, I, I didn't really feel that way at the time, but sometimes right. I wonder if some of my angst that I have now <laughs> isn't because I did leave perhaps the path I was supposed to be on. Oh yeah. Stuff. You're supposed to be a musician pursuing music. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. But, I but, mean, his, his yeah. later points about how something like a musician pursuing music will also stop doing that if they're starving to death. Yeah, but he also uh, makes a point that there are some musicians that right. won't do right, that. Right, like, hence starve. the starving musician. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah, so that's kind of what I also liked about this article is at the end, and this is really just any good scientific article, you're going to put up what you perceive to be issues with your theory. And he had a whole section where he was talking about the exceptions to mm -hmm. the these hierarchies as he sort of says moments where the hierarchy might become inverted right. i think you know one example that comes to mind is uh psychopaths who don't appear to need love for whatever reason right, right. um and and also just people who i mean this is kind of a confusing one i was trying to understand it but it's like um People will show off a high esteem for mm. the purpose of getting love. Right. Um, or something along those lines. Uh, you know, like confidence. Having confidence can sometimes be a way of uh, finding love because, you know, certain right. people like to see confident individuals. Um, right. And uh, and in that case, it it would potentially supersede the love, but in really in reality, it's not really because you are trying right. to get the love anyway. I don't know. That was kind of a confusing. Yeah, one. it doesn't really seem like an exception. It just seems like a complicated yeah. interaction. My, yes. So I have a problem right off right off the bat. Good. Going from one to two, from mm -hmm. uh, physiological needs, which mm -hmm. I guess I understand, like eating, breathing. Stuff like that. Uh, to safety needs. Safety, yeah. like the physiological needs actually seem to me to be safety needs. Well, like it is unsafe yeah. to not eat. It is unsafe to not breathe. Yeah. And to me, the root reason why, why we might have such a strong impulse to breathe and eat is because of the safety of it. It, like we'll die if we don't. Yeah, I th I, well, so I think dying is the ultimate thing that he's using to judge all of these, which right. is how they get subs uh, classified into the the basic need right. classification. So I think the distinguishing factor there is that safety, as he's describing it, there's like an outside factor, whether it's like an aggressor or right. like a weather event or something, you know. Mm-hmm. Whereas, but that's that's true for that there's an outside factor. Is there food? Is is there breathable air? Uh, yeah, but it's an actor. I guess would be the idea. Then you know, it's it's something that could harm you versus right. you are harming yourself in a sense if you're not eating. I that's kind of how I think about it. At mm -hmm. least. Um, I mean, like I agree. And again, of course, they have the same endpoint, which is death. Right, but. I do think that is kind of his way of classifying these as basic needs because in all the cases he's describing, if you don't get that, you're going to, 
uh, you know, die or become morbid, like have mm-hmm. some morbidity associated with it. Like if you don't, if you don't have love, then you're going to probably, you know, I mean, there are cases of like suicide and stuff. Right, like that, right, right, right. You know, um, and yeah, yeah. I guess it's it's the safety category that I understand the least how it exists unto itself because also not having love is unsafe because then you don't have a community and you're just stuck by yourself. Yeah. I mean yeah. a lot of a lot of a lot of these categories not eating is unsafe, right? Mm-hmm. And so I I guess I understand it could be, you know, other actors versus sort of internal actions or something like that or mm-hmm. or something. I mean, the breathing one is a little bit I don't know. I mean, breathing isn't super voluntary, but I guess it stems from within you. Right. And if you're on a ship and you're like, it's sinking, you're going to be worried that you're not going to be able to breathe. Mm hmm. Yeah, but know. it's like, you know, it's like an absence of a thing versus an addition of a thing. Um, maybe that's right. the way. Mm-hmm. It's like the, it's the absence of food, the absence of water, the absence of oxygen versus the addition of. An aggressor or a storm or something like that. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, this is this is probably the general problem with all uh, writing of this sort is it's not very quantifiable, right? Right. Uh, I mean, he's doing his best to be quantifiable, and mm-hmm. you know, I I was actually as I was reading this, I was just thinking how. Uh, I mean, cogently written it is, you know, mm-hmm. and he does a good job of being like, these are the, what, these are where I'm like building off of. He, he gives credence to like Freud and other right. uh, people that he's like, these are kind of the shoulders that I'm standing on. Again, what you're kind of supposed to do when you write a scientific paper. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he lays out, as we've already gone or mentioned, 13 like presuppositions. Right. Um, but, Ultimately, it is a qualitative thing that he's attempting to do. He's trying to aggregate a bunch of information, mm-hmm. but it's not like he's saying, you know, he wasn't pulling a lot of quantitative data, it seemed. Right. Or if he was, he wasn't doing it explicitly. Right. Um, well, because he even says that this is a theory that needs to be explored and tested with experimentation down mm-hmm. the line. And he's laying out a theoretical framework. Yes. For exploration and testing, right? Yeah, which I so appreciate. I, I mean, I, yeah, I I think that that I often find it missing in a lot of discussions about where what what is the theory, what is the framework you're working under. Uh, you know, we we talk a lot about data driven and evidence based and stuff like that, but. Evidence under what framework? How are you contextualizing your evidence? Yeah, no, I mean, uh, it's interesting because I do think, again, I'm thinking of sort of nature articles. Often, Mm -hmm. if you publish in Nature, which is one of the preeminent scientific journals or science, you are kind of required to put forth a a theory of how you think things work, but you don't really need to do that in the lesser journals. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right. In some senses, though, I don't know if it is good to do that every time you discuss something. Like, there is a lot of need for just... Well, I don't know. I guess now I'm, I'm kind of thinking I think that there's it. no such thing as discussing something without it, though. Because if you have yeah. just a bunch of data, right. like right. you have a bunch of temperatures of humans, mm-hmm. that, that like, and... You need some kind of framework that you you would use that data. Why would you use that data? Maybe we're trying to get a, a baseline for what the average temperature of a healthy human is. Or, but is that a framework, or is that just a, a problem you're trying to solve? Um, what I'm saying is that you need you need some lens because mm-hmm. data by itself is nothing. It's just yes, yeah. points. Mm-hmm. You need contextualization. Right. And so I think I agree with you. I'm just, I was just kind of pausing because I was. Right. Yeah. Maybe it's a bad example. I don't know. Yeah. Um, Yeah. 
and maybe that is the problem. I mean, I mean, but, there's a framework, but, there's a theory there that there would be a baseline, right? Or that a baseline is something yeah. that's useful to know, right? Well, and it's true. I mean, every time you write a paper in a peer review journal, you do have to start with what has been done and how does your, you know, what are you picking up on? So right. in that sense, you're always contextualizing stuff, um, right? But you're right. I guess when you say discussions, you're probably talking about like podcasts and stuff like that. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I may, or maybe I am. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I guess what I'm saying is, I do. Think I, that I guess that- I know that when when I think I'm, I'm actually talking about academic articles, but not in not scientific articles, not in Nature or Science, because I don't read those very much. But you know, in in social sciences and humanities, I right. don't think. Right. I th- I think that terms like data driven and evidence based are able to just be used, <laughs> and there isn't a there. It depends on the field, but there isn't a, a whole lot of uh, rigor needed in backing up what you even mean by that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess I don't know. I don't read enough of those. Right. Uh, but this is certainly a example of something in that field, and he certainly does it. But this is also eighty years ago. Maybe right. there was more rigor back then. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of what I was saying. Though, I was I was impressed by the writing. It was very mm-hmm. clear. I thought, yeah, you know, um, I thought, yeah, I just thought it was actually a really well written article. And maybe sure. that's because you also have to think. So I think Maslow was pretty young when he, relatively young. I think he was just in his like mid thirties when he wrote this. Right. Um, so it was like kind of making me think like, how did this become such a impactful? Right. Everybody talks about this. Yes. And I mean, maybe it is. I mean, again, it, and it's because it's not like people didn't understand this. Right. But I guess he just laid out, like we're saying, a cogent, vision Mm -hmm. and it's just a very simple thing like here's just five things that basic needs that we have and there's a there (laughs) you can put them in a pyramid right (laughs) sure um and uh yeah maybe that's it um because because yeah it's also just amazing that it's not like i don't know if he was citing his stuff very much Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's not like he had like a a really big footprint in the field, although maybe he did. And he was probably at Harvard at the time. I actually don't know. Right. Um, but he probably had enough academic cachet that people took it seriously. I mean, they they must have. Right. Um, and, uh, but yeah, it's just interesting because because certainly people have been putting forth this kind of idea mm-hmm. for a long time. I mean, I was actually just thinking how Lupe Fiasco actually basically talks about this in one of his rap songs. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like everybody sort of understands on some level that when people get hungry, right? That's when you have the most uh you're most primed for problems because mm-hmm. we go into our animal state and we're only as he discusses Maslow discusses we become fixated on that and there's all the other higher order needs fall to the wayside and we just are motivated by one thing and it's get food or get water mm-hmm. and uh, get out of my way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it, it was, this whole thing was, are you uh, there? Or did yeah, you yeah, I'm here. Sorry. Oh I'm, yeah. I'm you thinking. just, you, fr- <laughs> it looked like you froze. No, I was just thinking. <laughs> it looked like you froze. Um, you were very stoic. Uh, <laughs> like a statue. Um, yeah, no, I mean, uh, it was making me think about how, uh, the, like today, mm-hmm. this is the thing that I'm most worried about with today is as we get more people who become, you could say stressed by the economy, even mm-hmm. though I know inflation is supposedly, uh, <laughs> under control, right. uh, there's, there's more credit card debt than there ever was before. So people nice. are obviously, having troubles and I feel like we have more homeless than we ever had before. Right. And we certainly see robberies, you know, like uh, yep. that sort of thing are up. Mm-hmm. It's just there it's clear that there's a lot of social 
tension. Mm-hmm. And it's as soon as people, like if you just cut off the food supply, that's when things really right. are going to sort of get inflamed. But I don't think any of that is related to the food supply at this point. No, I'm just saying if you had to have a disruption of it. Right, then, right, right. Because I mean, most things, people, including yeah. homeless in the United States, are not actually starving. Right, right. Like there we have enough. a very strange situation where right. we are extraordinarily well-fed. Yeah, that's true. I mean, some people, right? Most um, people. Yeah, no, you're right. It, we and most people in the world, like the amount right. of uh, starvation in the world is so much lower than it was 30 years ago. Sure, sure, I agree. Although we may be seeing a trend away from that with, I mean, the fertilization, fertilizer disruptions with Ukraine and stuff like that. You know? Yeah, maybe. I mean, I think you're starting to see that, and I think this is why you have so much migration from the third world right now. Um, are there are there food <laughs> are there yeah. food scarcities in the third yeah, world that there weren't five years ago? Uh, I think so. I mean, certainly, like I feel like I read about there's a big uh, drought or some sort of food shortage in like Somalia, yeah. for instance. Part of, part of the food shortages that happen in Africa are created by American and European countries, though. Well, that's, yes, this is what I just said. But that's said. not because there's a lack of food. No, but it's oh. a lack of fertilizer, for instance, being able to get to these places because of the war disruptions, as you said, in Europe and whatnot. Yeah, it's, it's also, it's also a, an intentional cutting off of the food supply. Maybe. I mean, that intention is hard to prove, right? <laughs> uh, I mean, they do it in the U.S. on purpose, too, for the markets. Uh, I, so I have family who work in international food trade stuff, and uh, companies do that in the U.S. where they'll they'll you know have silos of grain and stuff like that, right. and they just will sort of let it rot or burn it right. or whatever just right. to create scarcity in markets and things. Like right, that. right, and of course, I think you know that happened. I think during the Great Depression too. Right. Um, but no, I'm talking about just the global, the geopolitics is right, disrupting right. a lot of trade routes. And from what right. I understand, yeah, 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 you know, obviously I don't, you know, who knows? I could be wrong. Uh, and yeah, there's probably other factors that are driving the migration. Mm-hmm. There's certainly more migration than we've ever seen before, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think we can both agree on that. Um, and. Yeah. Yeah, maybe that's also, I mean, you know, yeah, anyway. But the point is, <laughs> the point is that, yeah, when I'm food saying I don't think scarce, it's food. Yeah. Do you think it's a concerted uh, effort to, to destroy the West by Russia? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not, I'm Sometimes not saying that. Think, I'm not saying yeah. that either. I'm just saying that the. It actually relates to another point I was going to make about this, about how. Mm-hmm. All of these things, he kind of he kind of talks about it in some of his, uh, uh, or one of his exceptions. But I was thinking about it in a slightly different way, where ideologies can actually supersede uh, right. these need drives. Right, right. Um, and and there's people who will actually uh, sort of set aside certain needs for safety or food or whatever mm-hmm. you know we were talking about it with a with a musician but there's people who will do it for ideology also but he said the people that do that are generally and probably there are exceptions but the people he was talking about were those that had enough like of the need satisfied earlier in their life right right which i don't know if you i mean i don't know if you're trying to loop this back to the Migration stuff, but I would say those uh, not people. necessarily migration specifically, but you know, like uh, somebody who is really, really into like down with Marxist Leninist philosophy, right? Will will uh, allow for the degradation of society and the starvation right. of people in right. service of that ideology. It's better right. that people are starving to death. Then somebody have more because right. of whatever ideology. It's right. better that I'm starving to death. Right. And and that they would probably certainly fall under that example of the people that had their needs satisfied from a young age. Right. So that they're able to forego it later for ideology. Because, and then it oh sorry. Yeah. Well, I was saying because generally the people that subscribe to the Marxist Leninist sort of right. ideology, you find a lot of them in the upper Sure. Echelons of society. Yeah, yeah. It's true. That that's a good point. 
I think there's his other question that was in one of the footnotes about somebody who's born into slavery. Mm-hmm. Do they do they grow dissatisfied or are they sort of content in their station? Like, do they do they grow dissatisfied and need self actualization and self esteem? Because somebody who is enslaved will definitely have that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. What do you think? I mean, I, I I also don't know. It's it's interesting that section. I was a little surprised that he was bringing up free speech and free inquiry mm-hmm. there. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that was interesting too. Because it yeah, it seemed like such right. a departure in terms of sort of tone and what we were talking about. Because it mm-hmm. seemed all of a sudden very sort of lofty and almost political. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah. The, the, the footnote is interesting. So it says, whether or not this particular desire is universal, we do not know. Uh, I think he was talking about uh, self-esteem and then the need for free expression and free inquiry, freedom of speech. Mm-hmm. Uh, the crucial question, especially important today, is... Will men who are enslaved and dominated inevitably feel dissatisfied and rebellious? We may assume on the basis of commonly known clinical data that a man who has known true freedom, not paid for by giving up safety and security, but rather built on the basis of adequate safety and security, will not willingly or easily allow his freedom to be taken away from him. But we do not know that this is true for the person born into slavery. The events of the next decade should give us our answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that well, that's interesting. I wonder if he was um, see i I think the answer has got to be yes, you know that they will that, also develop that same that, I think everybody has a rebellious tendency within them, right, you know, because this is why even i mean there was there was. Any time that you had slavery, you had slave rebellion. Right. Regardless of the generation that it occurred in, you know right. what I mean? It's like, I mean, hell. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, the, whole, the whole Exodus story, right? Right. Moses. I mean, yes, exactly. Or it's just, you know, the countless rebellions in the Americas. Right. After generations of having been here. Right. Um, and, yeah, so I, I think, I would think the answer to that is yes. And that's interesting. I wonder what he is... Um, nodding to there if he's nodding towards World War II and like what the remnants of that because again this was published in 1943 mm-hmm. so they were in the thick of World War II he actually right. makes a reference to the Fuhrer right. in yeah, there yeah, yeah. Um, as I think in the safety section yeah the, the, the yeah. neurotic people will, will want one right yeah. right or just as people you know I was thinking as people we see this again all the time is that as people feel less safe, mm-hmm. they want a strong person, mm-hmm. strong man generally, to make them feel safe, to reestablish right. the safety by an any means mm-hmm. necessary method, yeah. um, which, you know, has its issues, obviously. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think I would say to that idea, it seems evident that there is a kernel of... Um, rebellion in every human mm-hmm. because every human has consciousness. Right. And, and yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. And I mean, it's interesting because uh, it, maybe actually it, consciousness isn't even necessary to evoke here because you also see it to an extent in pets, domesticated pets. Right. You know, it's like uh, if you just leave the door open, a lot of pets will try to escape mm-hmm. um, yeah so I don't know he does also I say th- that we shouldn't compare people to animals <laughs> and then he does it I know he does it with rats I- well he yeah he makes the point that it's difficult right because so many of these studies were done in rats and they mm-hmm. don't have the same level of thinking yep um Another thing he says that's interesting that I was sort of surprised by is he was talking about how creativity is not a well psychologically understood thing and it's not sort of clear what, how it fits into the hierarchy of needs. 
Yeah. To me, it's see. Maybe I'm wrong. It's the 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 narrative about it would be obvious. I thought he fits that, it into the self actualization. Part. Right, but to me, it's like it obviously has an adaptive function. Our yes. ability to be creative is our ability to shift as the situation changes. So we can we can address our needs in a variety of ways in a variety mm -hmm. of situations. Right. But yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then he goes into like, what is it? Uh, a desire for knowledge and understanding. I was a little confused by that yeah. section. But I guess it's basically cognitive, <laughs> he okay. calls them. Uh, needs, which are distinguished from cognitive just because they're striving, things that you strive for. Uh -huh. And I guess these make up their own hierarchy where a desire for knowledge is, uh, what is it, the prepotency <laughs> right. to uh, desire for understanding. Mm -hmm. I guess it makes sense. It's like we kind of want knowledge before we want to understand it. We have this weird like desire to just know something. Right. And then once we know it, then we're like, okay, well, let me try to understand this. I, oh, I had a note about that too, actually, because I think that there's another aspect that he doesn't address, or I, if he did, I missed it, uh, about ease of access. Because understanding is much more difficult than sheer knowledge. It's like it's easier to know what your temperature is than what it means. Right. Right. And so the, the barrier to gaining understanding is probably also the somewhat disincentivizing. Yeah. So we'd rather I, just get knowledge, we'd rather get pieces yeah. of data than actually understand it because it's nearly impossible. Well, I think that's kind of what I was trying to get at before when we were talking about the framework stuff. Because uh -huh. there are a lot of papers that are just like, let me report on what this is. Right. And granted, I do agree, like I think it's you, you almost can't get away with publishing something in a scientific journal without being like, here's what this is and here's how it fits into all this other stuff. Right. But, um, I mean, even I'm kind of doing this. It's like uh, there is, there is a benefit to just knowing what something is because that's, as we're saying, that's kind of the first step to before right. you understand something, you need to sort of know what it is. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I wonder if actually I don't what is the benefit to just knowing what something is? Hmm. Well, it the benefit is it's the first start. It's it's the beginning of the work. I wonder if yeah. maybe it makes more sense to publish some magnum opus when you're 80 after you've collected a bunch of I know what it is and now you have an idea of understanding. Rather yeah. than publish a bunch of little papers right. about like this is this and this is this and this is well, this. Well, I think that's why you get you see as like people become emeritus and stuff. They publish right. more things like that where they're sort of aggregating all the knowledge that they've right. attained over their sort of long history mm -hmm. of doing research and trying to fit some grand right. scheme or theory. So I do think you see that a lot, and and this is what review articles are so great about. I mean, you have, you know, you have the general sort of data like scientific article, but then you have this whole other type, which are review articles. And actually, like in a PhD uh, program, generally you need a experimental article, first author publication, to get your thesis or your mm. PhD. Mm -hmm. You can't you, and it needs to be an experimental right. thing. You can't just like do a bunch of reviews for kind of the reason that we're saying is like you have to put in a little bit of the work of aggregating data. Right. To, yeah, because because that is one way of understanding things is as you right. go through the method of sort of aggregating things mm -hmm. as I'm finding myself right now. But nice. boy, is it cumbersome. It, it is, <laughs> you know, and this is, this is again why I'm like, man, Maslow is kind of lucky. Again, I don't know his whole corpus. So for all I know, he had a bunch of experimental papers mm -hmm. but like you know when i i took some psychology classes and it's like the the big people that we talk about especially with behavior and everything are like um 
What's his name? <laughs> you know, what's his name? <laughs> I don't know. I can't remember. Uh, B.F. Skinner, like uh-huh. those people uh, who who were doing, I mean, you know, there's some a lot of controversy over the experiments he was doing. Right. But he was doing experiments to try to aggregate data and then putting together sort of these theories. Whereas, you know, that's why, again, I find it kind of interesting that he was so young and yet he put up, he was able to put forth this corpus or this, what not corpus, this this, I guess you could almost say magnum opus at such a young age. And uh, it's Maslow or Skinner? Maslow. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I think the thing that's interesting or the, the thing that falls slightly flat about Maslow to me is that mm-hmm. this is painfully obvious. <laughs> yeah. Like well, nothing yes. he's saying. Like I'm not like, what? No way. Right. Sometimes right. you read something in terms of psychology that's very challenging. Right. Like uh, your memory of what happened in a situation is probably false. Right. And the yeah, more, but, you know, right. the, the kinds of things where they set up a situation where somebody's robbed, like fake robbed, mm-hmm. and they ask a bunch of people, and everybody has a completely different memory, and if you have a video camera, they're all completely wrong. Yeah. But they're like, I, I remember he was yeah, wearing a green yes. hat or something. He wasn't wearing any hat at all, but a bunch of people remember that exactly. Like that's very interesting and challenging. This isn't challenging at all. This is like, yeah, of course. Well, but it begs the question, though, why didn't anybody lay it out this simply before? Uh-huh. And that's the thing. It's obvious to us now. Right, right. But maybe it wasn't as obvious back in the day. And also, maybe nobody had laid it out as simply as right. he did. I mean, maybe it's like, yeah, like, just remember to put some water on your hands after touching a dead body before mm-hmm. doing surgery. Exactly. And people are like, that's crazy. That's ridiculous. How dare you? We've we've been touching dead bodies and delivering babies since before I was born. In fact, I was born with uh, dead bodies. Right, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine, yep. My mom's not, but I was fine. Yeah, right, right, yeah, she did die. (laughs) Yeah. This is, of course, a callback to Semmelweis. Right. who, uh, Who was chastised because he was smart enough to realize you shouldn't do dissections before you deliver babies. Right. Um, and I think we talked about that. Or you should that. at least wash your hands in between. Yeah. I think that was like our fourth episode. Yeah, it could have been. Long ago. 3.3 or uh, yeah. 2.3. Yeah. Man. We've come a long way, Antushka. <laughs> have we? <laughs> Or, yeah, it's just life is a, just it's just a circle. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Any other interesting things to say about this? I don't know. So, so what do you, what do you see as the, the success? What's important about this reading? Like, I think it's good that we read it. I've never read this before. I've heard about mm-hmm. Maslow. And you know, everybody talks about Maslow's right. hierarchy, blah, blah, blah. You right. hear it all over the place. You'll hear it on the news all the time. Kind of yeah. I actually, um, well. Uh, the importance of it is is exactly everybody talks about it. It's interesting to see where like see him talking about it in mm-hmm. his own words. For instance, when I learned about the self actualization stuff in my psychology classes, I feel like I, they talked about it more having to do with consciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, but he doesn't really talk about it with respect to consciousness. Here. I think he does say something about consciousness. Yeah, I thought mm-hmm. so. He talks about, I mean, he sort of like talks about conscious and unconscious needs, but then he doesn't really delineate them very clearly. Right. Uh, because, because you could argue, yes, the m- more basic needs are unconscious. It seems to be that way, right? The basic needs are unconscious. And then as you go up in the hierarchy, you become more conscious. Like the self-actualization stuff seems to be a more conscious being, but I don't think he explicitly talks about it like that. Right, which uh, which I was a little disappointed about, but at the same time, you know, they were only just starting to discuss. I mean, not just starting. I mean, Freud was the end of the nineteenth century, but but that was like fifty years before fifty to. It was like two generations before him, right? Mm-hmm. Freud was just dying, I guess, around the time that he was writing this, right? Um, right. And uh, so. So, I mean, maybe they just still weren't exactly teasing out the whole subconscious versus unconscious versus conscious mm-hmm. realms as uh, 
as clearly as we discuss them now. But this is my whole thing also is that I feel like a lot of things that we talk about could right. be more clearly discussed if people talked about them with the lens of consciousness. Right. I mean, I don't feel like those are clear ideas. Those, those, those three distinctions are not clear to me at all. No, no. And which is why I think it's more of, it's a gradient first right. off and, and, and probably just a clear gradient from conscious to unconscious. Mm-hmm. And subconscious no, think, right, right. is a part of the unconscious. Mm-hmm. I have this problem with lots of psychological terms and discussions. Like I've had this problem talking to therapists where there's like the difference. I don't have a strong distinction in my mind between a thought and an emotion because an emotion is kind of a thought, like, or at least my knowledge of it is a thought. Right. And, and so to me, everything that I can talk about is a thought. That's the only thing I can talk about really. And so yeah. discussing an emotion as not a thought is very strange to me. Yeah, no, I mean, an emotion is a thought. I would agree. Right. Everything's a thought. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Turtles yeah. all the way down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Every I, thought is on another thought's back. My goodness. I was going <laughs> to say something based off of that. Uh, that was sparking another thing I wanted to talk about. But I've lost it. But I think it might, I think the problem is it might actually not be fully possible to have absolute delineations between concepts in in a lot of psychological settings. Yeah. Yeah, because we don't have a we don't have a good delineation of thoughts. Right. I mean cuz they talk about motivation versus drives versus mm-hmm. uh, needs and like needs right. driving motivation and then they talk about motivated behavior and unmotivated behavior which is also mm-hmm. like a very strange idea to me. Right, right. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, yeah, and this is one of the reasons I decided not to go into psychology because I was like, it wasn't, uh, it was too amorphous and dependent mm-hmm. upon everybody's subjective definitions. Right. And again, you get into any field of study and it gets down right. to that. But yeah, there yeah. Are well, other, would, you Foucault know. would probably say that all fields right. are just as amorphous. We just right, <laughs> B- but there are less amorphous ones, I would say. Right. Yeah, but yeah, Foucault just I think wanted to burn the whole thing down. Right. Yeah, I mean, where I can have I can have respect for fields like engineering or medicine or things like that. Where medicine's really hard to do this with, but with. <laughs> But that, that's not me criticizing medicine. I think no. it's just a harder problem. But, you know, if you build an airplane, it flies or it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And it's great. And so, like, mm-hmm. the, the proof is in the pudding. Right, right. And, yeah. and stuff like that is kind of nice. Like, right. I almost wish I was an engineer for that reason. Yeah, yeah. No, like, how do you nice. know if a song is good? You have no idea if you like it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You sent me that thing. Did you want to talk about that? Oh, sure. Like a little, a little like bonus thing at the end. Yeah, yeah. Unless I there's mean, something I have, more. I don't have anything really else to say about it. It was. Okay. I yeah, think, do I have any yeah. other notes? Uh, let's see. What about when ideologies supersede basic needs? We talked about that. Mm-hmm. Answer to people being born into slavery. I think that's all the big ones I had. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, so earlier today, I sent uh, Mr. X, Mr. Doctor K. <laughs> I'm just gonna keep messing it up. Yeah, <laughs> Mr. X, a uh, a little clip of Jacob Collier talking about how uh, there's no such thing as good or bad music. Um, and and it's an interesting idea because I don't I don't necessarily agree because I think that. There, with any anything you do, you can do sort of well or poorly. Um, but it's all with music. It's all just arbitrary expectations. So where I agree with him is that any theory you learn is completely arbitrary. It's there's not like anything real about it. It doesn't like a, a, a major chord isn't a real thing. It's just an arbitrary construction. Mm-hmm. And we all just know about them because we hear them all the time. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I I agree. I mean, it's like uh, people said jazz was bad because it was breaking out of the system, the classical system. Right. And then jazz became it's a system of right. its own. Right. And now, you know, people say if you break out of the jazz system, it's bad because, again, it became its own system mm -hmm. and then with its own rules. So I feel like it's all just what is your level that you're that you're judging it from? Mm -hmm. And it you could say it's bad if you're trying to, you know, establish that, okay, this person's supposed to be playing jazz and they're obviously right. playing blues or something like right. that. And, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's but, not jazz. Yeah, but his point is, yeah, his point is very Foucaultian or mm -hmm. whatever in that it's like, well, there's no real right system, um, right. which is that it's true. I mean, it is true. And, and the things that... I think sound good aren't going to be the same that you think because what we mm -hmm. think sounds good is a is a summation of our experiences right. in many senses. So I do agree with that uh, to an extent. Um, I yeah. think the closest thing to bad music would be you creating music that you that you yourself either don't like or don't think is doing yeah. what you want it to be doing. Yeah, like Steve Reich or whatever his name is, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, it, I don't know. If you try and play a scale and you want to play C, D, E, F, G and you accidentally play C, D, E, flat, F, G, like, you've, you've messed up what you were trying to do. You did, you did what you were trying to do wrong. Mm -hmm. And I don't right. know if that's bad, but it, it's, not, it's at least not what you were aiming at. Right. Right. Um. Or, like, maybe not caring, maybe not not trying to create something good being like people just want to hear these four chords and so I'll just do this and put some melody over it and like you engaging in it in a way where you think it's bullshit probably is then mhm mm yeah no i mean uh i agree and again it's like i think that's the same thing as saying you've built a system your system is i'm going to play a b c d e mm -hmm. and then you mess it up and so yeah now it's bad that's bad. But, now it's bad. Or maybe yeah. it's good because that can happen too. Because you can be meaning to play C, D, E, F, G and you play F sharp instead and you go, ooh, I liked that. Mm -hmm. And now it's good. Yes, you've changed the system. I feel like it's like, are you engaging with it cynically or not? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cynical music is bad music, maybe. Yeah. Well, and, uh, oh, I, I remember what I was going to say, uh -huh. and this kind of leads into it, cause, and, and this leads into what we're going to do, right? Right. Because there are people that just don't think any music sounds good. Right. I.e. what we were going to probably read oh, eventually. Oh, right, yes. The music Ophelia stuff. Mm -hmm. And then that's also making me remember what I was going to say earlier. Have you heard, like, I feel like people are talking about, and I have no idea how, I need to read into this study, but I feel like I've seen... People say, like, is it 30% or maybe 70% of people? It must be 30% of people don't have an inner dialogue or an inner monologue. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Have you heard that? I don't know. I don't. You don't have an inner monologue? No. I don't think to myself in language very often. Interesting. I also don't hear sounds in my head or see images in my head. What? <laughs> Here's the other thing, though. I've talked about it with other people. Part of it could be like me being sort of like autistic about. Yeah, I'm glad you said it. Being too specific, <laughs> like because when I say I don't hear things in my head, I mean I'm I don't literally hear. I can kind of imagine hearing something, or kind of imagine like what a barn looks like. But to me, it's not like I'm not looking at a barn. I'm. It's like the. It's like the source code for a barn or something. But what? Okay. Now this is fascinating. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean. <laughs> uh, but you have thoughts to yourself. Is the point? Yeah, but they're like usually pretty amorphous. They're not usually in sentences. Huh. Yeah. So you That's do have an inner dialogue. Yeah, yeah. Do you call time. yourself by name in your head? No, but I'm well, just thinking about Well, I know people who do that. Uh, no, yeah. They're like, no. hey, Frank. 
Go no. outside. <laughs> what is this, Donnie Darko? <laughs> um, no, but I mean, like, yeah, I don't know. Because, uh, <laughs> so you think in your head, like, I should really go for a walk right now. I think, like, I want to go for a walk. Right. Or I'm, I just mean whatever the thought is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, but I would think maybe I should go for a walk right now or yeah. whatever. Yeah. But when you think about that, are you? it's like a feeling like I want to go for a walk? Is yeah, that how something you would, like that usually. Yeah. Okay. Until I express it verbally. Right. Well, now I'm trying to think. Yeah. I kind of think it's possible that it, for, it is the same experience and I just am getting hung up on the words. I think you might be because you do this a lot. <laughs> it's not on purpose. No, I know. You're just very specific. And this is why I wonder if that's actually what is going on when people uh-huh. ask people about this. Because I think a lot of people use this to be like, oh, look, there's like 30% of our society is made up of NPCs or whatever, you know? Nice. Uh, I am which, probably I one think, of those. You think you're an NPC? <laughs> like like that gray face guy? That looks like me. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're just like constantly... Ooh. You're just here to, t- to get people to go on quests, right? You're like, I have 10 chickens that I need you to go collect. <laughs> that's pretty fun. Yeah, that's not a bad life, I'll be honest. <laughs> um, but But I also just wonder again if it's like a lot of just... Uh, autistic people being asked it and they're like, they just they experience the world differently mm-hmm. and, you know, it doesn't mean that it's, they're an NPC and that they're a vacuum, you know? Right. Do you think you're a vacuum? <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> I don't think you're a vacuum. Yeah. No, that's very interesting. Um, yeah, but also though, here's an interesting thing that I'm doing more and more that I, I need to stop doing, but it's like I am more and more I don't actually ever just like sit and uh experience mm-hmm. life. I always have a podcast yep, or yep. something going. Mm-hmm. And you're the same? Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's really beneficial when I do it. If I'm intentional about it and like yeah. I go on a walk with no music or something, I have way more creative thoughts. Really? Oh yeah. Yeah, f- yeah. I mean, this is where Einstein said all his creative thoughts came from. Mm-hmm. It's like the the moments in between, or like uh, you know, taking a shower. Don't put on any music to listen to or a podcast. Just take a shower. Well, that's actually interesting. I almost never listen to anything yeah. when I'm in the shower. So that is the one moment where I guess I do have some peace. Yep. And I look forward to it. I mean, I I notice it with with some of my younger family members where like, I mean, it, it's out of control. They'll have a uh, headphones. On listening to music, right. and they'll have some like comedy show on a tablet, yeah. right? And they'll be like texting with people, and it's just like, whoa, yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot, but it's also like kind of it makes you wonder if maybe it's also like another level of attention because that's what I hear from older people, like the baby boomers, mm-hmm. that look at me and they're like, "How are you able to do these things while having stuff on?" I'm like, "Well." It's just like having something in the background. I'm not really mm-hmm. paying attention to it. And in some ways, that's actually kind of impressive. Yeah. Because you're able to like zone out all yeah. the noise and just yes. hone in on something. I mean, it's how Milton Babbitt used to compose music that way. Right. He'd have the TV on in cool. low that's level why. in the background. Yeah, but I mean, come on. Babbitt sucks, let's come be on. honest. <laughs> I'll say it again, Andrew. Uh, I know. You like Babbitt, don't I do you? like Babbitt. Yeah. I it's one of my heroes. Knew. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so he used to he had TV on, but like I, I can't really have a podcast on if I'm practicing. Uh, yeah. No, I mean it depends uh, if I'm just running yeah. scales. It right. depends on what kind of practice. But I can't right. learn new music with a podcast. Yes, on. yes. I find memorizing anything to be difficult if I have other stuff going. Yeah. And and yeah. So like when I was studying a lot, mm-hmm. it would be it would be like music without like it would be like Bach or something. Right. Or Pink Floyd. I studied the Pink Floyd a lot for some reason. I can see that. I feel like yeah. Bach is too for me, it's too attention. There's too much happening. There is a lot. But like stuff changes that, so fast. Something right. like uh like Sigaros would work or yeah. But Pink it's Floyd. Something where it's like, like long and static. Right. But specifically like the because like uh 
the Goldberg variations, for instance, yeah. it's like it's such a stream of notes yep. that it does become just like sure. a yeah yeah you I know, can see that like mm-hmm. kind of meditative, and you right. can just yeah. Um, but yeah, okay. So you're an NPC. Yeah, uh, that might be the title of the art of the uh, episode. So you're an NPC, <laughs> or so I, so so I. <laughs> yeah, it's yes. pretty good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so what are we doing next week? Uh, so next week we'll do the Lost Mariner by Oliver. It's in Oliver Sacks' book, Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat. Cool. Specifically, the Lost Mar- Mariner. I could text this to you if you want. Okay. And, and it's the story about the guy with uh, Wernicke Korsakoff syndrome. Okay. Cool. Um, and then after that, I'll let you take it away, and we'll maybe do musicophilia. Okay. I think, right? Sounds good. Yeah. Cool. Guy who got obsessed with Chopin after getting struck by lightning. Right. <laughs> that's the that's the title, right? <laughs> <laughs> Man it's who just mistook so his life for a weird, hat. Man. Guy who got struck by lightning and is obsessed with Chopin. <laughs> okay. Man who really likes Babbitt. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, but that's me, the NPC. Yeah. NPCs love Babbitt, dude. Do they? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll be honest. I got to go back and listen to Babbitt. No, I don't, could be don't mis- bother. You won't like I it. I could be misremembering. I don't so think I you'll sh- like I sh- it. I shouldn't come off so harsh against the it's man. It's fine. Everybody does. I'm used to it. Yes. I think you like I think you like liking things that everybody hates. Yeah. It's very NPC, you know. <laughs> Maybe it I, is actually, you know, it's like it's like fake against the grain. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> All right. Did we do cool. it? Cool. Yeah, I think so. Did we did it? All right. We did it. All right. Goodbye. See you.